Radio Cachimbona listeners. I am so excited to be bringing you an unlocked lit review. This was a the final lit review of season one of Radio Cachimbona back in 2019. And on this lit review, I interviewed friend of the podcast, Tina, from T.O. Young Voices, to discuss part two of Agustin de Rojas' science fiction novel, A Legend of the Future. We debated the limits and boundaries between humans and machines, discussed the, implica the implications around consent regarding the characters in the novel who agreed to Im permanent emotional rewiring, and share whether we would join a space expedition to a moon of Saturn. The lit review is usually a patron-only segment with fierce women of color. The Lit Review serves as an audiophonic book club. Radio Cachimbona is an abolitionist critical race theory podcast that is audio archiving the fierce resistance occurring in the southern Arizona borderlands. And I've been so blessed and honored to have Tina as one of my Radio Cachimbona guests from early on, including in the first season, because there is no better exemplar of resistance in the southern Arizona borderlands than the Tohono O'odham con community's continued existence and thriving. If you would like to support this podcast project, then you can become a Patreon so that you can get first access to amazing conversations like these. $5 Lit Review patrons get new content every two weeks and $10 patrons receive weekly new content. Thank you so much to the 34 patrons I have that are sustaining me and allow me to continue doing this work, which really is a full-time job. If you're interested in helping Radio Cachimona in other ways, non-monetarily, I know that things are tough right now. You can also leave an Apple podcast review or a review wherever it is that you listen to Radio Cachimbona. I know that I say this all the time, but it really does help with visibility, gaining new listeners. And so I'd really appreciate if you would do that. You can also follow Radio Cachimbona on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So I hope that you all join there and keep the conversations going. Enjoy this interview. Thank you so much for continuing to support the Lit Review. I wanted to thank the two newest patrons, Yvonne and Yesenia Gomez. I hope that you all are enjoying the Lit Review and enjoy this final Lit Review of Season 1 of Radio Cachimbona. On this Lit Review, I sat down with Tina, the host and producer of T.O. Young Voices podcast, and we talked about the second half of A Legend of the Future, by Agustin de Rojas, which is a Cuban science fiction classic. So you should probably listen to the first episode that I recorded with Tina before you jump into this one.
Today we're diving into part two of Agustin de Rojas novel A Legend of the Future and just to remind y'all of who this person is he is considered the patron saint of Cuban science fiction and the whole book itself is described as intensely psychological. Tina what how would you explain that to readers who maybe haven't yet read this book? What makes it psychological? Psychological because I feel like reading it, it's a lot of going off of memory mm -hmm. of what was after their situation that had happened. And, and I guess because of how things are in the future, mm -hmm. those times, the technology that they use, it, it's kind of, I don't know how they're able to do it in that time, but mind reading kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But psychologically, as far as sanity goes as well in their situation, mm -hmm. trying to be calm, mm -hmm. which is kind of weird. Yeah. Their reaction in their situation, it is almost like they're calm in a way. And they're calm. if somebody's trying to freak out, somebody's trying to calm that person down. Yeah. In kind of a robotic way sometimes. Yeah. Like <laughs> them being like why are you deviating from yeah. the path that you're mm -hmm. supposed to be taking you're not yeah. supposed to be distracted by mm -hmm. this emotion yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i think the memory thing is important it was especially important in part one because it starts off with a dream sequence yeah that features isanusi kind of flying wildly through what is i think contemporary earth mm -hmm. yeah but it's like describe but it's like it's also like i don't really know if that's actually what earth looks like because it is a dream mm -hmm. so that's yeah. a, so that's that's part of the psychological aspect that you were just bringing up it's like mm -hmm. you have to figure out or your the reader is left to interpret what what is yeah. a dream what is a memory what is real what is current what was past uh, for me, I thought it was also psychological because there's so much social engineering going on in the plot. Like, we were just mm -hmm. kind of talking about this, about how they've... Th this group of six people were programmed in in, yeah. in a way that a tech... Is that a software developer also engineers and creates a program? Mm -hmm. It's almost... Even though they're individuals theoretically with agency, yeah, they were bred for this purpose yeah yeah and even when they're in that situation there's there's human parts but the human part it doesn't over overtake even in those situations they're still trying to continue on their mission trying to get back to earth even in this really stressful situation like it just doesn't change at all i think that sunned up though has an emotional breakdown yeah towards the second half and what and it's interesting because he was he was the so the psychosociologist mm -hmm. person in the group, <laughs> and so you would think that maybe he would have the best coping mechanisms, <laughs> or that he would have been able to predict his own reaction mm -hmm. to Alix's death. Mm -hmm. But I think he's an example of a character who did not stay to the script in this in the way that, for example, Hema did. Yeah. I think Hema and Isanusi are the best examples of people who stayed dedicated to the mission, even when it wasn't really logical. Like, so much of the book you just spend, of the part two that we're talking about today, mm -hmm. you spend with, like, Hema and Thunder just talking out loud, 
trying yeah. to figure out how they're going to be able to get back to Earth, trying to play out all these different scenarios out loud. Mm-hmm. But it really is Hemanisa and see that stay committed to that and thend up just kind of gets lost as an asset along the way because mm-hmm. he just ends up unraveling. <laughs> yeah, it's always... I guess even in, in real life, that tends to happen where your expectations of a certain person, you wouldn't expect that, but they're doing the total what they shouldn't be doing, you know? <laughs> Whatever their labels are, and thumbed up situation being that character, and he's just totally not that character or the opposite of it. I just think he was totally not self-aware because it was really... I mean, where I brought this up last time, too, the patriarchal aspect of it, how mm-hmm. Hema was the one who had to have her emotion rewired because they thought she was going to be the most vulnerable to breakdown. Mm-hmm. But it was Thunda who was determined to not need any emotional rewiring and who also was like the lead feelings guy as the psychosociologist mm-hmm. was actually the one who had issues and who would have needed that support. So, yeah, I think there's either a stereo- gender stereotyping in that scenario and it ended mm, up yeah. playing out the opposite way that the patriarchs had thought. <laughs> so the spaceship that they're on is called the Sphiagator, and mm-hmm. it has various features like holograms, and there's a sensory cabin where you can smell the woods and the sea to remind people of what Earth was like. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the idea is that these six people are a perfect cohesive independent unit so between the six of them they're theoretically supposed to fulfill all of the roles in a society another aspect of how this book is really psychological i think is the mass surveillance aspect of it to me Mm -hmm. just because i find myself getting paranoid knowing that i have google home that i have my cell phone that like Mm -hmm. my laptop has this video there's but there's basically a constant opportunity to surveil me and i think that that does impact how you think and what you do yeah and that was present in the book as well although they the author wasn't explicit about saying that the surveillance affected people psychologically Mm -hmm. i just want to put it out there because it's in it's part of the context of the book the they they call them cosmonauts instead of astronauts Mm. (laughs) and they're bred and raised at different areas throughout the quote-unquote federation like thousands of kids Mm -hmm. And I guess that's, this is kind of a question to kind of similar pageant kids, like <laughs> to or like kid actors. To to what extent did they actually choose to, to yeah. do that, or were they passionate about that? Mm-hmm. To what extent were the cosmonauts passionate about this, and to what extent did their parents just tell them that this was the thing to do? Because they start when they're kids, mm-hmm. and they're surveilled the whole time, so that mm-hmm. in the end, machines and humans as psychosociologists like thund up end up picking the perfect group of six people mm-hmm. after having like accumulated all the data <laughs> of how they interact which i think is really wild mm-hmm. and then palace is the ship's quote-unquote central logic station that carries out certain functions on its own so it's kind of partially independent and sentient and in the second half of the book their palace has broken down the central logic system has broken down and so it can't the spaceship isn't as useful as it once was because a lot of it is on autopilot or it's kind of like drives itself with this central logic system that's basically sounds like a brain 
Yeah. And they're talking about possibly operating on Isanusi or Thundab and mm-hmm. taking their brain out and putting it in the the ship. And I think mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's a, that's another example of what we talked about last time, which is this blending of what is human and what is machine, this constant yeah. question. How Hema was rewired and also how this machine can theoretically have a human brain attached to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was <clears throat> looking at some of my notes, and that's what I was talking about earlier that I wanted, I'm going to talk about. After the crash, they have this, like, radiation, I guess it's, what poisoning? Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eating away at the three. Mm-hmm. Thundab and Isanusi, mm-hmm. and they kind of talk they agreed that they were going to kind of like sacrifice themselves, I guess. And Hema was going to be doing the repairing on Isanusi's, and they say transferring Isanusi's conscience into the navigational computer, mm-hmm. which is, I thought was just like <laughs> pretty mind blowing. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, so the, the, I'm trying to figure out the radiation situation is an example of how they they operate in machines in a way because, yeah. because like, I think, you know, it'd be super understandable for people to have emotional mental breakdown confronting the fact that you're just probably not going to survive mm-hmm. fully intact. Because I think that the way that the book describes it is there's so much radiation and there's, and, like, the palace is broken down and so... They basically just didn't, when, based on how Hema described, they wouldn't have enough human energy mm-hmm. to be able to navigate themselves back yeah. to Earth. Mm-hmm. So they're relying on machine. Yes, right. And so they're kind of thinking like machines and kind of trying to integrate themselves into the machine in mm-hmm. order to be able to save themselves. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's just wild. Yeah, I, when I read that, I was like, wow, this is so crazy and insane. <laughs> but yeah, that, that type of futuristic theory about what could be i think that's where we're headed (laughs) i I mean i definitely think it's possible so i was recently diagnosed with sleep apnea Hmm. and with like with sleep apnea your airway is really small and so you need help breathing Mm -hmm. and if you have sleep apnea while you're asleep your body has trouble regulating its breathing on its own Mm. and there can be time periods where like i just stop breathing Which is really dangerous because you can die. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so there's different treatments for it. And I think the, the most recommended one is a CPAP machine, which is where you just, like, hook up oxygen to your nose. And then it's, like, specifically titrated so that you get the right amount of oxygen every time mm-hmm. your breath stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's, like, a third op- There's another option, which the doctor is pretty invasive and the doctor told me like he's never recommended it to anybody but Uh it's like you can like surgically get something implanted near your heart or like get something implanted within your chest area yeah so that every time you stop breathing it sends a little shock up to your tongue and it makes you stick your tongue out like that oh so that your airway it's like exposed and you can breathe so that would it would just happen on its own. You wouldn't have any control over, like, when it happens or not. Mm-hmm. Just like, yeah. And it would it only... Because you use it when you're sleeping. Yeah, I was going to say that. Uh, would it only happen when you're asleep? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because when you're conscious, <clears throat> you can regulate your own breathing. But, like, yeah. the issue is that yeah. your body can't do it. Like, your sleeping body mm-hmm. can't do it on its own. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, like, that's, 
Yeah. That's like partial. When I thought about it, I was like, that's so weird. That's like augmenting my body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess more and more, as you're thinking about it, we are relying more on a machine. And we are. Yeah. We really are. Self-driving cars. Yeah. Are already, they've already been on the street. It was in Phoenix that the Uber, the self-driving Uber car wow. killed a passenger. Or it was oh, a pedestrian. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So the the history of the novel I think is really interesting too. The Thunduk was describing it to Hema and he explained that in the second half of the last century was when mankind left Earth for the first time. Mm-hmm. And the first time that people left Earth they just stayed in the orbit being able to look at the Earth directly. Yeah. But then eventually the interplanetary expedition started, like the flights to Mars and mm-hmm. Venus. And theirs was an interplanetary expedition. They were going to a moon of Saturn. Yeah, Saturn's moon. One of Saturn's moon. And so that was that was when they created the sensory cabins where you could go and you could smell the woods and smell the sea mm-hmm. because people were gone for so long that there was an issue of them not remembering what Earth was like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they... It, that's counterproductive because they're doing this mission for Earth, and if you don't remember, yeah. remain nostalgic for, care about. And where they're gone from. for years. Yeah, like more than thirty years, mm-hmm. forty years, I think. Yeah, exactly. So that's the those little reminders of Earth are really important because you can see how people would lose their motivation. Yeah. You know, like yeah, thirty-five yeah, sure. years into mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the book, it says uh, it kind of talks about how even though. We're out there exploring. Earth is still the most beautifulest place, be- most beautifulest planet. Yeah, yeah. And Easton, you see, in his dream, it was really clear that he saw Earth as a place of freedom. Mm-hmm. He imagined Earth as a place he could fly around in. Yeah. Why do you think that the team failed, even though they were scouted and trained so young to be the perfect team to fulfill this mission? The type of planning that goes into this lifelong. Yeah. So why do you think that they failed? And they talk about uh, actually a lot of the cosmonaut missions end up failing because Mm -hmm. basically human emotion ends up getting in the way. Mm -hmm. And that was supposed to be corrected for on this mission with how much yeah. emotions being rewired. Mm-hmm. But it still kind of went haywire. So why do you think that that happened? What comes to mind and thinking about it is, it is, I'm looking at it as like a first trial for this. Yeah, it was their first time doing pigs. it. Yeah, I, for me, I feel like that's number one. And then number two is just kind of, I don't know if you can ever really truly take out the um, the human part of humans really you know <laughs> yeah, what i mean yeah and that's mistakes imperceptions yeah know, false human perception. error has always been <laughs> one of the top reasons why sometimes certain things happen or whatever especially with what we're doing to the earth now mm-hmm. yeah so i think those are my my probably my first top two things that i feel like could be the reasoning for their their failure or whatever however you want to call it yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I agree with that, too, just because they were really confident that they had yeah. fixed all the issues. Mm-hmm. But they were obviously very biased because they wanted all the issues to be fixed. They wanted to go on this mission. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And they, I think they really trusted the system that they were yeah. a part of. Yeah. But you're right. At the end of the day, it was still a guinea pig mission because even though this was the latest perfected mission mm-hmm. after all the other failed ones, mm-hmm. there is still, like you say, you just can't get rid of the possibility of human error. So mm-hmm. even though they were very confident, yeah. it, they weren't able to keep human motion out of it. And mm-hmm. it kind of presents an interesting question because... Well, what should have happened? Because Thundab definitely was not carrying his weight, was counterproductive, was slowing the team down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So should everybody just have gotten their emotions rewired? Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's that's something to think about. And then at that point, they're all just machines, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, they they would be. Because that would be interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah, a part, yeah. part four. <laughs> we'll just come up with our own part four. <laughs> we'll make it in, into our own story. It definitely makes me think about agency because with Hema kind of freaked me out because it actually reminded me of a principle in contracts. Like for a contract to happen, Two people have to have what the law calls a meeting of the minds. Mm -hmm. You have to be on the same page, basically. Yeah. So there's various ways that you can render a contract null, either by saying after after you entered it that it was wrong or that the terms to begin with were wrong. And one of those reasons can be mutual mistake. If let's say like I was like, oh, you pay me $20 for mocha. Mm -hmm. And... Like, I, I thought that I was saying you give me $20 for my cat, Mocha. But you thought that like, <laughs> I was saying, oh, like, you give me $20 for, like, Mocha, the, the drink. Yeah. In that case, you can cancel the contract. And the reason for that is there's this idea that in order, if you're if we are going to create this binding thing, both people have to know what they're entering into. Mm. And, I, and I kind of feel like it's impossible to know what you're getting yourself into when you agree to have your emotions rewired it's like mm-hmm. is that really consensual like it's like everything that happens after your emotions getting rewired yeah. consensual it really freaked me out that isanusi was like you should go lay down with thunder because he's probably lonely that it leaks died mm-hmm. and she obeyed and it was mm-hmm. would old I and mean, maybe old yeah. Emma would have done that any maybe like she was chilled that maybe that's what she wanted to do yeah but it just it it left a weird feeling in my mouth because this just doesn't really feel consensual like you know because mm-hmm. with con- like with consent you have to be able to withdraw it at any yeah. time for it to be true consent yeah and so it freaks me out that you couldn't really say that about Hema and mm-hmm. so it just left me wondering <laughs> is it that only machines can carry out such a mission <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was, so as I was skimming the book, there was one point where Thundup said that the phenomenon of romantic couples dying soon after their partner, even having been in previous health, good health, was rare in the modern world. So sometimes elderly couples, one person will die mm-hmm. and the other person, even if they didn't have any pre-existing health ailments, will die a few months after. Yeah. And it's, and it's not really known. It's just people just say they're dying of heartbreak or dying of illness. Yeah, yeah. But he said that in the modern world that that had basically become rare. And he said that it's because human personality has become had become so developed and enriched, quote-unquote, that it was rare for two people's traits to blend like that. 
What do you think of that take? What he is yeah. what he thinks. I think it's I think it's sad. <laughs> I know. Because I, I, I see yeah. stories like, I mean, real stories about those kind of situations. And because I'm a married woman and I... I feel like if I were in that situation, I just want that to happen too. You know, I probably couldn't go on living without this person. Mm -hmm. And I'd want to just be probably gone too. But I also think about people who have lost their loved ones. How did they do it? Like I think about my grandma. I think about my own mom who lost their husbands and years before they just had to. How did they do that? Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I couldn't imagine going through something like that. So I wouldn't want to go through something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, because it shows that you felt something for the person. Yeah, but I guess in that situation, if it makes it easier, then <laughs> I guess it would be fine. My thing is. Sundab, I don't know if what you're saying is so true because mm -hmm. you are pining over leaks and mm. <laughs> it, I mean it could be argued that that is exactly what happened with Sundab and leaks mm -hmm. that she died first yeah and that he died soon after because he couldn't he couldn't deal with her dad yeah true <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I thought that was well, he, he's just not self-aware yeah at all. he's losing it <laughs> And, and also, it's like, I just thought it was, people don't die. It's like, it also just shows that even as the psychosocial, and I think it just shows the silliness of having one person being designated as the expert in, like, human feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. Because I don't think that it's that people's traits are so alike that they get blended together and become one person. I think it's definitely true. I think it's, like, scientifically studied that some you do adopt some of your partner's traits and mannerisms and habits yeah. just, like, from spending so much time together. Yeah. But I don't think that's what makes people... I don't think that's the connection that makes people die if the yeah. other person dies. I don't think yeah. it's, like, characteristics being the same. I think it's just the love that you have for the person. And it's really ironic that the psychosociologist doesn't get that. And it's, I think it's the same thing even with animals. It's yeah. The love you have it's, for your it's, animals. Yeah. And I always compare it because I'm a huge fan of the movie E.T. <laughs> and I always compare my feelings and my cat's feelings. Like, we feel what we each other's feel. Like, he knows when I'm upset at him. He knows when I'm sad. Whether it's a dog or a cat, they just know. They feel your feelings. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, just hearing that kind of reminded me of that, too. Mm -hmm. I think that's totally true. My cat also can, like, sense my feelings. Yeah. And, you know, cat brains are supposed, like, what? Like, super small, right? <laughs> yeah. But, like, because I don't think, I don't think it's, like, a brain functioning thing. I think Maybe she cares about me. I mean, I know that this very controversial because people are like do cats love you or do they just want you to feed them yeah true my, I, know I, know my, I, know my, I know my cat loves me so <laughs> can analyze their own situation <laughs> but it's it's like so it's almost primal because animals it's it's ingrained in animals too yeah <laughs> Okay, so part two starts off with a quote from Macbeth. It's page 111. It's the first witch saying, When shall we three meet again? The second witch says, When the battle's lost and won. I had no idea what this could mean, <laughs> but I thought it was important if it would quote. That was mm -hmm. starting with the second part of the book. Mm -hmm. I did look it up. And 
Sparknotes says that throughout the play, the witches, referred to as the weird sisters by many of the characters, lurk like dark thoughts and unconscious temptations to evil. In part, the mischief they cause stems from their supernatural powers, but mainly it is the result of their understanding of the weaknesses of their specific interlocutors. They play upon Macbeth's ambition like puppeteers. And then Sparkman says, the audience is left to ask whether the witches are independent agents toying with human lives or agents of fate whose prophecies are only reports of the inevitable. Mm. And so when, when I heard that second part, I was like, okay, I think I understand how this is applicable to this book because the audience of the book is also asked that question of these cosmonauts. Do they have agency? Mm -hmm. Or actually, was this mission failed from the beginning and there was nothing they could do about mm -hmm. it from the beginning? Yeah. Because the whole, the whole premise of them as a team and them going on this mission and them training their whole lives, trying to engineer fate, trying to engineer a specific outcome. Mm -hmm. And even though that's like what they're there to do, just even just with Hema specifically, how can we analyze whether or not she has agency if... She had previously agreed to have her emotions rewired and to be less emotional. <laughs> yeah. And everything that flows from after that. And maybe that question probably most likely couldn't really answer it or maybe could never really be answered because mm -hmm. especially the person that kind of undergoes something like Hema did where she agreed or whatever it was to go and be rewired. <laughs> <laughs> and, and is that a good thing or a bad thing? to be rewired is it for the greater good in situations like that i know well it just kind of makes you like if the ends justify the means because it didn't even get to the moon on mm -hmm. saturn and it also why did they want to go there and why was it so necessary for earth they're they're actually sacrificing so much mm -hmm. i guess it's for pursuit of knowledge <clears throat> yeah but it also but also given that there's like this there's this huge play for power Mm -hmm. in the cosmos it doesn't really feel like a pbs knowledge yeah. really for the public good it's yeah like, yeah you know knowledge of <laughs> weapons that could be created off of saturn or something like that and i don't think that everything like i don't think that a work of art needs to answer every question mm -hmm. or have every bow tied to be worth reading yeah and i think the questions that it makes you ask like what is dream what is reality and mm -hmm. why do you think that yeah is a really useful exercise mm -hmm. yeah starts off classic psychological question it's Hema asking herself if she's dead and she says can this be death no to reject this absurd thought death is nothingness she tried to bend her arm to touch herself confirm her body really existed she felt its weakness the lack of coordination in her muscles they all tried to obey at the same time contracting spasmodically, jerkily, and creating little whirlpools in the liquid around her. Where am I? What's happened to me? Who am I? It was useless to search through her memory. Nothing there. She went on floating outside space and time. What is, how do you float outside of space and time? Yeah. Does, I guess it's, I guess, is consciousness outside of space and time? Mm-hmm. How? If consciousness is tied to a human body. 
But I guess in this in this universe, consciousness isn't necessarily tied to a human body. Yeah. But even for the spaceship, which is definitely within space and time. Mm-hmm. It's it's so it's the consciousness still wouldn't be outside space and time, even if it was a machine consciousness. Another question is like, how would you, how would, or what would we do if faced with this, with such a situation? Would we struggle to survive no matter what, or would we sacrifice ourselves for the greater good of space exploration and human survival? Wait, how do they sacrifice themselves? I guess going on this mission, agreeing to go on this mission, mm -hmm. whether it's for ourselves, not questioning the characters in the book, mm -hmm. but if we were in that situation, I guess. I was, I would, that's why I would need to know, like, what we were talking about, right, like, earlier is... <laughs> yeah. Well, what was the purpose of it? Were we yeah. going to Saturn's moon because there was some mineral that... Mm -hmm. could save a lot of yeah. people yeah and it doesn't really explain it's kind of, it's kind of like it's just space exploration for space exploration's sake mm -hmm. but just all with you know already with elon musk talking about being the first person to fly to mars the question of space exploration is already this question of wealth and call you know colonization in a different context of like mm -hmm. trying to own yeah other property other other tangible things in the mm -hmm. universe. Mm -hmm. So that's what it would be absolutely fucking not. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Something that I thought was interesting how Thundup, they like I feel like Agustin Rojas went out of his way to point out that he was a psychosociologist. Like sometimes instead of saying his name, he would say the the psychosociologist shook his head. <laughs> Which is funny. I wrote, why does he emphasize this so much? And then I eventually came to the conclusion that I think he was just trying to emphasize how how arrogant he was to think that he was the psychosociologist of the team. And also, like, how ironic it is to appoint yourself the head of human feelings. And then, even though you're also full of human feelings. <laughs> Their faces were calm and happy. Oh, yeah. And I kind of was thinking, you know, for somebody who has been rewired that she had kind of the la those last that last thought I guess mm -hmm. yeah it's like she had finally realized that she was gonna die she just accepted it yeah and and it wasn't about oh you know a process for her like I'm dying this is it but it was the thoughts that she had I thought was kind of interesting like, to me it was a human side I guess yeah I think that makes sense because we're having this question about her agency and the extent to which she can make her own decisions mm -hmm. and she it says she's kind of she's resisting dying yeah she says she tried to it says she tried to escape to fight her way back to the remote world outside but she couldn't and so it's like it's just the gentle colors filled her mental mm -hmm. sky mm -hmm. and then that's when she she saw her team's faces their faces were calm and happy yeah. and that's how she died mm -hmm. yeah that was it mm -hmm. I think it was a nice ending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, especially because it's like, you know, the thing that was most disturbing to me was Hema's emotional rewiring. Mm -hmm. And it was comforting to know that at the end. Yeah. Maybe even she couldn't control it, but her her emotions mm -hmm. and the things that she cared about came back to her. Yeah, and that's what I liked about that one last part. Her last thoughts was like, oh, okay. Like She's that. a human. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, this was the final lit review of season one. I hope y'all enjoyed. You can go on Radio Cachimbona 
It's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can go to patreon.com slash to become a lit review patron and get access to this and all past and future lit reviews. Thank you, Tina, for coming on mm-hmm. and hope to have you on the podcast again. Yes, thank you. Bye. Bye.